Welcome to Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. And on today's episode of Grain IQ, why are there different trading months for corn and soybeans? How do the trading months impact your grain marketing plan? Fabio Matos joins us for today's episode. He is an associate professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Give us a little bit of background about you, Fabio. Tell us uh, how you came to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and and what are you doing at the university? All right, thanks, Chad. My pleasure to be here. So uh, I I grew up and I was born and grew up in Brazil. So I'm originally from the south, and uh, I uh, I went to school there, went to high school, I went to college there in Brazil, and then after college or while I was in college, I started working. Uh, in the industry, so I spent uh, a little bit of time in uh, finance departments in uh, some companies, and then eventually, when I was getting to the end of my uh, college years, I started working for an investment bank. So I was in the trading desk. Uh, I was working the trading desk of that investment bank, and we traded futures contracts, options contracts, and did a lot of market analysis, uh, mostly on interest rates and exchange rates back then. But over time. Uh, I also started working with commodities. So I spent uh, about 10, 11 years in the industry between that investment bank and doing some consult, uh, consulting work after that. And eventually I decided that I want to go back to school. I wanted to get a, a, a master's and PhD, PhD degree. So I got a master's degree actually in Brazil while I was still working there. Uh, but then after that, I decided I want to keep going and I want to go back to grad school for a PhD. And that's when I decided to move to the United States. I went to the University of Illinois to get my PhD. And after I got my degree there, then I decided to stay in academia. I decided to you know, become a professor. And then I got my first job in the University of Manitoba in Canada and spent four years there. And <clears throat> at that point, I decided oh, it was enough. No, I'm not going north anymore. It's getting too cold. <laughs> decided to come back south. And then I got a job offer from Nebraska, from the UNL, and then came back in to 2013. Okay? And I moved here in the winter, and it was a great winter. I loved the winter compared to Canada. Uh-huh. And then loved here, and have been here for 10, 10 and a half years now. Yeah, all right. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, the work that you do at the university. How are you connected with uh, commodities and, and trading and risk management and things like that? Yeah, so my, my appointment at the UNL is uh, split between teaching and research. Okay. So on the teaching side, I teach classes on commodity marketing. So I teach two classes on commodity marketing and also a class on price forecasting. Okay. And there's also a graduate level class that I uh, teach on price analysis. And all of this is based on commodity prices and risk management marketing. And then on the research side, uh, the research follows what I teach. So I do my research on commodity marketing, risk management, and price analysis, price forecasting, always focusing on commodities. All right. Well, let's uh, start our conversation about the different contracts of grain that are available to the Chicago Board of Trade. We're going to spend some time, first of all, talking about corn contracts. And and maybe before we talk about the different contract months in corn, uh, maybe just give us your perspective, Fabio. Um, 
how is the work of the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago, uh, uh, the CME group, how is that an integral part of risk management for a farmer in, in Nebraska, Iowa, and here in the United States? Sure. So the, the CME group, uh, which, uh, uh, which owns the Chicago Board of Trade and, and the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and a few others. So essentially what the, what they do is to provide a marketplace for people to buy and sell commodities for a future delivery. And, and the idea, and that's, how, that's actually how all those commodity exchanges started in the 1800s and even in some cases in other countries even before that. So all those commodity exchanges started to provide a marketplace for buyers and sellers to get together and buy and sell for a future delivery. And that future delivery is essentially what's behind the risk management piece. So if, if we are buying and selling commodities, you know, so we, we just, um, today I need some corn, I just, just go to the market and buy corn uh, at whatever price I have today. So I'm just you know, fully exposed to whatever is happening in the market today. If I'm buying corn today, the price is low, that's great, I'm happy. But if I go to the market today and the price is high, well, so be it, so I'm going to lose money, so I have to pay more for my corn. Okay. Now, the ability to trade in advance for future delivery so gives, would give me a chance, for example, instead of just going to the market today and try to buy corn at whatever price I can find. So I could have bought corn uh, months ago, say in January. So I, back in January, I could have bought uh, corn to deliver today. On the, and then I could have set the price back then. Uh, so back in January, I could, could have set the price that I would pay for the corn today. So I would have known in advance how much I was going to pay for the corn. And you know, maybe depending on how I could negotiate back then, so I would be, would be able to get a better price. Or at the very least, I, at least I would know in advance how much I was going to pay. So I would have, I would have enough time to plan ahead, you know, knowing months in advance how much I was going to spend. Okay. And that's the, the same idea if you are selling commodities. So the ability to trade ahead of time Okay. or to, to sell or buy ahead of time and know also ahead of time the price that you're going to receive if you're selling or the price you're going to pay if you're buying. So it gives you more uh, certainty or, or at least gives you a better chance to um, do your financial planning okay, and get ready to or be in a better position to, uh, to make a profit in your business. All right. So let's go ahead and let's spend some time on the different contract months of corn. Let's start there. Um, the, the new crop corn contract is referred to as the December contract. When we, when we look at a, a commodity page, December is listed as new crop. It's referred to as new crop. Why is December corn, uh, in any given year? Why is December corn referred to as new crop, Fabio? Okay, so that's because December, the December delivery month is the first the first month after the full harvest is completed in the United States. So we harvest corn during the fall, and then we have a contract a delivery month for corn in September, but we don't have the full harvest completed at that point. Then the next one after September is December, and then in December we have all the harvest done already, so that's why it's referred as a new crop. So that's that's the first month when you have all the new crop harvested in the market. All right. So December, by the time December first rolls around, the market should know basically how much corn is available 
for this given year, right? Yes, the market. At that point, the market already has a very good idea of how much corn is available. Okay, so now, so December is our new crop. So that's you've established. Uh, that's when harvest is usually done, uh, and then it looks like there's a contract month about every other month after that. Like you said, you start with December, uh, then you go to March, and then you have May, July, and then September. Why? Uh, what is the function of those contracts after the new crop month? All right. <clears throat> So they, for all those contracts, the idea is to allow buyers and sellers to trade ahead of time, to trade in advance. So to be able to buy corn that's going to be delivered in March or May or later in July, or to, or to sell corn to, to deliver in March, May, July, and so on. Okay. Now, <clears throat> going back to what I mentioned in the beginning, so I mean the, the futures exchanges are businesses. So they provide a service to the industry, and that service is to provide a marketplace for people to trade. Okay? And as they provide that, that service, they want to they, they want to get paid for that. Okay? So every time someone trades in the futures market, so, so every time someone trades a futures contract offered by the futures exchange, so they have to pay a trading fee. Okay? And that's essential that those trading fees are the, the, the very the, the largest portion of the revenue that futures exchanges have. Okay, so uh, I remember as, at least the last three years I was looking through the, through the financial statements of the CME group for the last three years a while ago, and I noticed that trading fees account for about 70-80% of all the revenue that they have. Okay. So <clears throat> a big portion, so a, a key point for the profit that the futures exchange have at the end of the year is those trading fees. Okay. And they, they get the collect trading fees every time people trade. Therefore, the more people trade, the more trading fees they collect, the more revenue they have. Okay. So it's the best, is in the best interest of the futures exchange to have lots and lots, lots and lots of people trading there. Okay. So the more, the better, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> when they set the contract months, so when, when the futures exchange decides what contract months will be av available for each commodity, so one thing that they look into is uh, to make sure that there will be a lot of people trading each one of those delivery months. So if you know, potentially the, the futures exchange could offer delivery months from January through December, every single month could have 12 delivery months in the year. Okay. But if they do that, they're going to spread the trading across 12 delivery months. So there's going to be some people trading to deliver in January, some people trading to the to deliver in February, and so on and so forth. Now, if they have less delivery months, so for corn, for example, if we have only five delivery months instead of 12, so we're going to have more people trading each one of those, those delivery months. And the more people trading for each delivery month, that means you have more liquidity in the market, and we have uh, better price discovery for each one of those months. So that's one side of the of the of the decision, or, 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 the, or how they choose the delivery months. The other side is the futures market exists because there is a cash market for each commodity. Okay, so if there was no cash market for corn, there was not going to be a, a futures market for corn. Okay, so the only reason futures markets exist is because there there is a cash market for the underlying commodity, and especially if there is a strong cash market. So the stronger the cash market, the stronger the futures market. 
Now, in order to make the to keep this connection strong between the cash market and the futures market, the, the futures market also has to reflect trading that happens in the cash market. Okay. Now, for corn, for example, the, what the other reason why they chose five, the, the five delivery months is because uh, the futures exchange decided that or realized that you know, there is more trading in the cash market happening around those delivery months. Okay. So December, like you mentioned, December is the new crop month. And so that's the first month when we have the full harvest completed. So there's a lot of grain in the market. So there's a lot of trading going on at that point. So then December would be um, a natural choice for delivery month. Okay. Then next one we have March and May. Okay. Then again, so those are the months that the futures exchange identified as concentrating more activity in the cash market. So essentially, when the choice for for delivery months is based on those two points. One, try to have as, as few as possible in order to concentrate more trading each delivery month, but also making sure that the delivery months reflect trading practices in the cash market. Yep. So it, from a seller's perspective, you know, for for the farmer that's listening to this and they have the commodity to sell, is it a uh, is it a fair statement to say um, that you don't know? entirely what's going to happen in a year in December when you're trying to market a new crop, uh, a new crop uh, grain, uh, there's a lot of things that could happen between when that new crop is uh, marketed and when the next crop becomes available, right? Right. Yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty and that's, and that's part of the, the, the futures market or, or that's part of why the futures market exists. So, I mean, whereas we were talking before the ability to, to, to buy or sell in advance, so buy a sale ahead of time so that you you know you already know before you actually take delivery of what you're buying or before you deliver the commodity that you are selling you already know the price that you are that you're going to receive or you get or um, or, or pay for the commodity okay. yeah. so this um, no, one of the attractives uh, uh, or one of the reasons why the futures market is attractive for hedges is because it allows them to manage that price risk months in advance or sometimes even years in advance if they want to. And also another point related to that uncertainty is to bring more speculators to the market. So speculators just speculators don't really care about the, the physical commodity. So they are just buying and selling the futures market trying to make a profit. And the more uncertainty you have in the market, the, the more likely it is for or the better chances speculators have to make a profit. Doesn't, make, doesn't mean they will make a profit, but well, if you have a lot of uncertainty, a lot of ups and downs in the market, you know, prices you know, going way up, going way down. So that gives the speculators more chance to make a profit. Okay. Right. And it's important to have those speculators in the market because they provide a lot of liquidity. So if you have only hedgers, for example, <clears throat> say if you have um, some farmers and some uh, grain elevators, some grain processors, no, there's only so much grain they, they're going to trade. So the farmer harvests, I know, half a million bushels. The most they are going to trade is half a million bushels. So if you if you only stay with hedges just who are just hedging their physical commodity, there's only so much you can trade in the market. Now speculators don't care about the physical commodity. So for them, the more they trade, the better. Yeah. So if they can make, if they see the chance to make a you no, know, fifty cents per bushel, so they can trade millions and millions and millions of bushels in the futures market because then they can make more money. 
So it's important to have speculators because then you know there's always going to be trading going on in the market. There's always going to be some activity in the market. And that also helps hedgers to find someone to trade with whenever they want. Well, that's uh, kind of proves the statement I've heard before. It's they uh, they say that volatility is the hedger's friend, and that's how you get volatility, right? Is you invite the speculators to come in. Uh, we might talk a little bit more about that in in a moment, but as long as we're talking about these different contract months, let's switch over to soybeans and and talk about those contract months here for a, a minute or two. Uh, again, uh, kind of the same theory with November soybeans considered being considered the the new crop month, Fabio. Yes, exactly. It's the same idea. Okay, we, we have harvest in the fall. So November, they, that is the month they chose to be the to, to be the first full month once we have the harvest completed. Okay. That's why November is considered uh, the new crop uh, soybean futures contract. Okay. And then after that, we have delivery months for soybeans in January, March, May, July, August, and September. Okay. So we have a few more delivery months for soybeans compared to corn. Yeah. And maybe you that's a good point to mention, too, because I think we saw that there were five contract months for for corn, but there are seven contract months for soybeans. Uh, any thoughts on why there are more delivery months or more con, uh, contract months being traded for soybeans? Yeah, the, uh, the idea is the same as trying to follow trading practice in, in the cash market. Okay. So for soybeans, we also have more activity, more buying and selling happening in, in the winter and spring for us here because of soybeans that are harvested in other, in other places of the world, so like Brazil, Argentina especially. Okay. And, <clears throat> excuse me, okay, so we have more uh, uh, trading going on for soybeans as we get uh, uh, crops from other countries, uh, larger, very large crops from other countries as well, not in the United, not only in the United States. Okay. So, I'd say that's the main reason why we have more trading going on in the, in the cash market uh, in other months uh, compared to corn. Yeah. Now, I, I, I've heard it said, too, and uh, I, I don't think this is necessarily true this year just because of the situation that we're in. And, uh, you know, we're recording this in 2023. And uh, just because the way uh, a lot of marketers moved on out to the new crop contracts so early. But I have seen it before where uh, seller buyers and sellers maybe try and get some new crop beans actually uh utilizing the September contract just because of their farming practices and they're able to uh, maybe harvest a little early? Uh, just kind of a fine point of a, uh, of a risk management plan, huh? Yes, exactly. So uh, for so let's go back to corn over those five months. So just because you have five delivery months in the futures market for corn, doesn't mean that people only trade in, uh, in the cash market in those five months. Okay. And then if you're trading, if you want to have uh, a trade in the cash market uh, that is not in one of those five delivery months, so you can certainly do that using one of those months. So, I can, so you measure for September. So say if you're, you're a farmer, you are done with harvest um, mid-October, for example. So if you want to have your, uh, your sale of, of corn in mid-October, you know, maybe the, the December contract might be too far away from or from October, so maybe the, the September contract will be closer to that. So you could still do that. Now, for soybeans, the same idea. So if you happen to be done with harvesting, uh, soybean harvesting in, in October, so you have an option to head using the, uh, the contract in November or back, well, back one month in September. 
Now, one thing to keep in mind there is uh, if you, you if you had using delivery month you know, uh, uh, ahead of your actual trade in the cash market, so if if you are done with harvest in October and you want to sell your beans or your corn in October already, okay, so you can hedge ahead of time using the November contract for soybeans or the December contract for corn. Okay. Uh, and then the other option that we are discussing is instead of doing that, you can hedge using the September contract. The one, the one thing that's important to keep in mind here when you put together your risk management, management plan is if you use the, the September contract to hedge the, the grain you're going to sell in October, now the, once the September contract expires in September, you're not going to have a hedge for those uh, last two or three weeks before you actually sell the crop in October. Okay, so typically people recommend to use a delivery month you know, at least uh, around the time that you are selling the cash market or after that, because by doing so, you, know, you make sure that you have that, that hedge in the futures market until the very end, until the moment that you actually sell in the cash market. All right. One other thing we should mention, too, and this is true for both corn and soybeans, right, is there are multiple crop years that are available for trade on the on the Chicago on the CME group, Chicago Board of Trade. Uh, how far out does that go? And um, how do we use those? Uh, how do we use those years in advance, Fabio? OK, they, the chip, they can go for uh, two or three years out easily. I've seen people hedging. Uh, uh, two or three years in advance uh, before, so it's not uh, it's not uncommon. Okay? And the way it works is you know, the same way that um, if I if I'm here today, uh, so we are recording this in August. So if I want to place a hedge today for the corn I'm going to sell in December, so it's the same idea. I could also place a hedge today for the corn that I'm planning to sell you know, uh, two years from in 2025 uh, for the harvest of 2025. So I just go to the futures market, place my trade, and then I have my hedge there. Now the only thing is when you start placing you know, way, uh, uh, way in the future for one, two, three years in the future, then typically we're going to have less trading going on for those contracts. So today uh, we have a lot more trading going on for December 23 delivery compared to December 25 delivery. Okay? So that means you may. You, you may it may take a little while longer for you to be able to place actually place or trade two years in the future. So it may it may, it may take maybe a few days to find enough uh, uh, enough traders in, for for two years in the future to to fill all the orders that you want and also maybe to find the the, the price that you're looking for. All right. Um... Let's see, what haven't we covered yet? Oh, um, I had a question from a producer and I, I didn't know how to respond, so I'll ask you. And I know there's a lot of money that is, uh, like you said, there's a lot of speculators, there are a number of hedgers in it, uh, but there is going to come a time where a contract month expires. And this is true for corn or soybeans, right? There's a day where it goes, that contract month goes off the board. What happens to any money that is tied to that contract when it expires, Fabio? Okay, so all futures contracts, all, all, all positions in the futures market are uh, market to market every day. So <clears throat> every day based on uh, what happened with the price on that day. So if, the, if you have a long position, if, you, if you're buying, if you bought corn in the futures market and the price goes up, your position is worth more money now. So if you're buying... If you trade one futures contract for corn, that means you're buying 5,000, 
5,000 bushels of corn. If the price goes up today, those 5,000 bushels of corn that you have in the futures market are worth more. So, and on the other hand, if the price of corn goes down, those 5,000 bushels of corn that you have in the futures market are losing value. So, and as, the, as those prices go up and down every day, and each one of, of our contracts uh, gain value or lose value, depending on whether we are long or short, whether we are buying or selling, okay, then the futures exchange or the clearinghouse in the futures exchange updates the value of our positions. So when we start trading, we have a trading account with the clearinghouse in the futures market. And that, and that, that trading account is pretty much like a bank account. So we have some money there based on the value of, of the contracts that we have. So if I'm trading 5,000 bushels of corn, so I have some money in my trading account based on the value of those 5,000 bushels. And then every day as the price goes up or goes, goes down, so every day as the value of my bushels in the futures market increase or decrease, so the clearinghouse adjusts my, the balance of my trading account based on that. So if, if my contract gains value, so I'm going to get some extra money in my trading account if those bushels lose value, if my contract lose value, then I'm going to get some money taken away from my trading account. And then at the end, when the contract expires, or when I decide to get out of the futures market, so if I decide to offset my futures contract before expiration, what happens is the clearinghouse closes my trading account. And then whatever, whatever money is left in that trading account is returned to me. So if you carry your contracts until expiration, on the last day, the clearinghouse is going to close all trading accounts for that particular uh, delivery month. And then whatever balance is left in each one of those trading accounts is returned to the, to the traders. All right. I, I think we're getting close to the end of this uh, particular podcast. I have just one more question, I guess, as, as we wrap up. You know, we've talked about a lot of different things here. Uh, you know, the, the new crop contract months for corn and beans. What does that mean? Uh, the different, uh, the other different contracts that are available. I, I guess as it pertains to a farmer's risk management plan, Fabio, in, in your mind, how does a producer producer decide which contract to uh, to invest in or to to sell into or whatever the case may be? Uh, you know, five corn contracts, seven soybean contracts. How does a producer decide which one they want to use? Okay, uh, so the, uh, I'd say there are two main points here. One is the the choice of the delivery month, like we we were talking about before. So ideally, I would. Uh, I would choose a delivery month as close as possible to the date that I actually want to sell in the cash market. Okay? And then the other point in terms of the quantity is uh, that depends on the on your risk management plan. So if, for example, if you want to trade uh, or if you want to hedge only with futures contracts, then you might as well choose to sell um, as close as possible to the, all the bushes you have in, in the cash market, in the futures market. So if you're planning to sell you know, 100,000 bushels of uh, corn or soybeans uh, in the cash market, so you might as well have as close as, as possible to those 100,000 bushels in the futures market. Okay. Now, another point here is uh, if, there are also other types of contracts available uh, to hedge. So you can use those futures contracts. Uh, you can use options contracts also in the, in the exchange. But you can also use in the cash market uh, forward contracts, hedge to ride contracts, basis contracts, and so on. So then, you know, taking all this together, so you might some people might depend on their 
risk preferences and depend on how they want to set up their risk management plan, they might want to sell, say, or to have, say, half of their crop using a futures contract, the other half using say, a basis contract or a forward contract. Okay. Then depend on uh, how, how they want to put together and how they want to uh, consider all those different types of contracts, those different uh, alternatives to hedge. Okay. And the one last point only is, regardless of what kind of contract you choose, it also has to make sense in terms of your, uh, your risk preferences. So if you are say, you say you want, I want to avoid risk at all costs. So I don't care about anything else. I just want to make sure that I'm not going to, I'm not going to take any risks. Okay. Then you can just go ahead and use a sell everything that you have, all the all the hundred thousand bushels, for example. Just hedge all that with a futures contract or a forward contract, for example. But if no, you feel comfortable taking some risk then you might maybe not sell, not hedge everything with a forward contract, a futures contract, for example. You may choose to leave some bushels unhedged or try a different uh, risk management strategy for those, for those other bushels. All right, very good. Thank you so much for taking the time and visiting with us today. Again, we've been visiting with Fabio Matos. He is an associate professor at University of Nebraska-Lincoln on this Grain IQ podcast. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Siklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Makovica. Our project manager is Bryce Dutskid. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.